Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. And um, I'm a little annoyed right now, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it something I did? Yeah, yeah, it was. No, um, no, we're getting our street paved, um, which is not annoying, although the smell kind of, you know, sucks oh, you for the hills of that. I can't stand the smell of tar. I oh. just, oh, when someone's redoing a roof, oh, yeah. I can barely, barely be anywhere near it. Yeah, well, oh, we did that a couple of weeks ago. We got a new roof, oh. although we didn't do tar. We don't have tar, but I had some really nice pounding going on while I was trying to work for about, you know, two weeks straight. Um, and then meanwhile, our street is being repaved. And yes, yeah, so then you, this obnoxious smell, but then the kicker, why I'm annoyed is that I've got to park about half a block away, right? Because you can't get mm-hmm. into the driveway. And I'm like, oh. and then I, you know, so I'm coming home from Pilates and I'm like, oh God, I've got to go park, you know, around the corner and down the bend. And I'm like, and, I, and then I get out and I'm all pissy. And then I'm like kind of laughing at myself. I'm like, this is like, you know, driving around to find like the closest parking lot of parking space at the gym or like taking the elevator once you're at the gym. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's like, I will work out on my terms. And if oh, you yeah. ask me to walk an extra, ha- you know, three blocks to get to my house, like that is not okay. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with, uh, um, I mean, you walk so quickly. And when we are like at an expo or like at a race or something, and I'm always like thinking, what's your hurry? I already worked out today. I'm just <laughs> strolling here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and who was it? Was it you or somebody else who said to us, um, oh, triathletes usually walk so slowly. Um, and I think it was that they, you know the same thing. They figure they've gotten in their big workout, so now they're just going to be chill and not expend any more energy than is positively necessary. Yeah. Speaking of triathlons, I am. Gosh, now I am two months out after Iron Mother. Um, I and more um, than two months. I know yeah. I've come down. <laughs> just put it that way. <laughs> I have come the heck down, and I look back, and I'm like look at the pictures and it almost looks like it was like three years ago, you know, like it does, it doesn't feel like that happened, you know, 60 days ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm curious what your, how you're coming down from your workouts, because I mean, I just know after, for me, after a marathon, I'm always like, huh, 
only a 10 mile run. That seems so short. And on the one hand, I'm like, woohoo, only 10 miles. And then I'm like, oh, I miss those longer efforts. So, I mean, like, how's it, what's it like transitioning back to like more normal workouts now that the Iron Mother's over? It's, um, it's a little bumpy. I mean, I, I you know, I, I talked to my friend Catherine who had done, an, she did Ironman Wisconsin last year and she said it took her like a good year to kind of get over mm. that, like kind of fix of like, I need to be sweating for two hours. I need to be, you know, you know, moving and, and making, you know, having really hard workouts. And, um, and I'm not quite that jumpy <laughs> not coming off, you know, <laughs> not quite like a meth addict. Um, but, uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, it is a little weird. Like, I mean, this morning I went, um, and ran around wash park, um, which is mm. in Denver and that's, um, and I think it's, I, I didn't have my Garmin on, I, I went by time. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a little over two miles. Um, oh. and I went around, did you, it, did you drive there? I did. I, I went after school, I, um, after school oh. drop off because, uh, mm. I missed my alarm clock this morning. I love wash park. It's so pretty. It is very pretty. It's very nice. And, um, and I decided that I need, I would let myself sleep in because I've got Ragnar, um, starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I've got to bank as much sleep as possible. Um, mm-hmm. but anyway, I went and ran four miles, which is a perfectly good workout. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, mm-hmm. four miles, but it just feels like a warm up a little bit. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in going 14 or 24 or four and then mm-hmm. riding my bike for three hours, but it doesn't feel, um, I feel like I've like eaten half the meal and left the other half that I want on the plate. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I always, that's my thing with leaving leftovers. I'm like, oh, I don't want to regret it later that I didn't eat more. <laughs> so, um, and so the same thing with like a workout, it's like, well, I've already, it, you know, like an hour later, oh, I've already showered and put on some clean clothes, but darn it. If now I don't feel like going for a swim or, you know, going to a yoga class or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily want to do more. I I don't, I mean, like if you would have asked me, do you want to go around one more time? I mean, I would have, but it wasn't like I've got to, but it's just Mm -hmm. more like your expectations, you know, your expectations that the building is 10, 10 flights high and you climb four flights and you're like, huh, I'm there already. I guess it's only four flights high, you know? (laughs) So I guess, I I mean, I'm having a hard time, like kind of uh, vocalizing it, but it's like, I just feel a little empty, you know, like I feel mm-hmm. fine. I haven't mm-hmm. been on Lyle in, um, my bike and haven't ridden him at all. Um, uh, oh, I wow. hardly been in the pool. I mean, I did a couple pools. I did a couple swims, um, in an outdoor pool near our house, our neighborhood pool that we go to, but you know, I was just kind of, I'm just kind of waiting to kind of feel restless again, mm-hmm. you know, and then maybe I'll figure out what I want to do race wise, um, next year. What, what sounds interesting to me next. Hmm. Well, and you'll get your, some yayas out with the Ragnar. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was actually listening to our podcast this morning, our friendship one, where I talk about how I have to run 19 miles. So I don't have to, um, so I don't have to relive that at all, but yeah, I mean, you know, this, this will be tough. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's not like it's going to be a walk in the park by any stretch. Um, Mm -hmm. and I actually think it's going to be harder mentally almost an Ironman because you know, it's stop, start, stop, start, you know, your muscles Mm -hmm. kind of cool off and freeze up a little bit. You've got to deal with like you know, um, maybe not the most optimal sleep and not the most optimal nutrition and, and all that. But you, you'll have all your buddies around you. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. I'm excited. I mean, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a yeah. great time. Yeah. Our team yeah. name, have I told you our team name? No. Um, we're morning, noon, N-U-U-N, night, <laughs> we mothers run. Nice. Um, and we've got, um, tough girl tutus to wear a little, um, hot pink and black. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our run, are another mother runner shirt. So some of us are soul sisters and some of us are running like a mother. We've got, mm-hmm. um, shirts from noon. Um, mm-hmm. and then we made some pink hot 
uh, not hot pink, um, kind of a light pink. We're kind of very, <laughs> we're 50 shades of pink on this. That, that's what it should have been our name, man. 50 shades of pink. Cause we do definitely have like, Oh, it's pink. It all goes together. Right. Um, and so, uh, we, we made these, you know, or we got these guy, uh, you know, just regular zip, zip up hoodie sweatshirts. Um, but we had our names written in cursive in the front. So it looks like we're kind of pink lady ish. Wait, so you, did you do that? Did you get them stitched or did you do it like with a Sharpie? It's embroidered. It's embroidered. Ooh, and then on the back, we've got our... fancy you are. Yeah. And our back, we have um, the, our team name in cursive with our shoes. Yeah. Oh, we need some photos. Yeah. Of oh, or, oh, trust me. You guys are going to be sick of seeing <laughs> seeing our 50 shades of pink by the end. So I'd be like, but, now we need this picture. And now we need this picture. And uh, one of my friends ordered pink cowbells and... Yeah. Oh we, my goodness. We got, we got a lot going on. Yeah, you sure do. You sure do. And then <laughs> I hope you're, I hope you're only going to drink pink noon, you know, so some exactly. the pink. You know, strawberry lemonade and yeah, some the strawberry lemonade, um, cherry limeade. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. And I'm sorry, am I the only one who, when they hear of a sweatshirt that has your name on the front, totally makes me think of Laverne and Shirley with her L on the front of her, of her sweater. <laughs> Yes, that, that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's that or the pink. I always think of the pink ladies from Greece, like Rizzo. Greece. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then remember, so um, was it not Squeaky? What was um, Lenny? He came in and and he had gotten he wanted to have Lone Wolf on the back of his jacket, and it, said, it just said One Wolf, and so. <laughs> Laverne lent him an L, so he has a cursive L, and then the other is in, you know, just print. Um, I love that, Laverne. She's awesome. (laughs) I love Laverne, too. That'd be the problem if you and I, you know, like, to recreate ourselves, we'd have this big argument. No, I'm Laverne. No, I'm Laverne. (laughs) Fine, fine. I'll be Shirley, the more practical, steady one. (laughs) Except she's the shorter one, so it totally doesn't work. Yeah, you'd be, and you and you already start with an S, so we wouldn't have to modify your name very much. So sorry, Shirley. <laughs> oh, woe is me! Woe is me! And um, we've got a, a another we have, we, S. Yeah, we have S. another S. Yeah. Maybe maybe Sage Roundtree will be Shirley, right? Maybe we could do that. We, there you go. <laughs> we are super excited to, to welcome on Miss um, Sage Roundtree, um, who you might remember we've had her on the podcast earlier. Um, talking about yoga and running because she is a yogini um, and a triathlon and running coach. Um, She lives in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, She is a mother runner of two. And um, her latest book is called Racing Wisely, a practical and philosophical guide to performing at your best. Um, And I know it's available on Amazon. Um, She is a... uh, she is a self-publishing maven with this one, kind of trying to see how that goes. So um, so if you want to check it out, we'll have a link to it on our website. Um, but uh, look for it on Amazon.com. So thanks for joining us, Sage. We're happy to have you back on the show. I'm delighted to be back. Good, good. So your new book, um, Racing Wisely, A Practical and Philosophical Guide to Performing at Your Personal Best. And I love how the subtitle of the book really sets it apart, that philosophical um, so, you know, what prompted you to write this book and, and what did you think was missing from some other race training guides? There are dozens, if not hundreds of books on training that will get folks nicely prepared to toe the starting line and they can take you know, really variant tracks to get you ready to race well. But each of these books has only a chapter, if that, on what to do once the gun goes off. And then you're just left to your own devices after investing all this time and energy into getting ready to start. So I wanted to help folks make that journey from the start line to the finish line, um, feeling strong, 
feeling like it's a celebration of their training and performing to the personal best of whatever they're ready to give on race day. That's great. Well, so um, so that you start off uh, talking about how that you are a yoga instructor and and talk about intentions and goals, and I think that that's really important and um, a really good good difference and comprehensive perspective for um, for this tribe and for any athlete. So, can you kind of talk a little bit about um, intention and goal and the difference between the two? Sure. And this is a nice way to unpack the subtitle that Sarah read so beautifully, a practical (laughs) and philosophical guide to performing at your personal best. So we know usually when we get to the start line, uh, what time we might want to have our watch show when we get to the finish line. You start the race with some kind of goal, even just completion can be a goal. Um, This is a public thing. Your friends can track you online and see whether or not you achieved your goal. Goals are important. We definitely need to set reasonable ones, manageable ones, and we can talk a whole lot about goal setting. But what I think sets this book apart a little bit is talking also about intention and intention is your motivation for doing the race in the first place, your um, attitude that you want to cultivate during training and during the race itself. And that, that feeling that you want to have when you cross the finish line and both intention angles are important during the course of the race itself, as well as all the build up to it, because When you are thinking about your training, when you are thinking about your packing, when you are thinking about your nutrition, your energy management, any little detail that goes into the race, you need to be clear on both your intention and your goals, and then every decision becomes infinitely easier. So when you are trying to decide whether you ought to wear that cute new running skirt that you picked up at the expo, then you can remember what you've been practicing with, what your goal time is, when you are considering, "Mm, should I have that third beer the night before the race, you'll remember what your goals are and your intention, and you'll be able to make decisions. And when when you meet things that you can control, like what you eat during the race, Uh, for the most part, is under your control. What you wear is definitely under your control. If you're clear on your goals, it's going to be easier for you to make smart decisions. But we're also met on race day with a host of factors that are out of our control, from the weather to the temperature of the sports drink to the way that the other participants on the course are acting or blocking traffic or their pace. (laughs) So when we meet things that are out of our control, if we're super clear on our intentions, then we can make smart decisions there. So intention is about attitude and philosophy and goals are about publicly stated measurable things and practicality. And when we're here on both and we can make smart decisions and ultimately it comes down to, um, to the serenity prayer and to being able to meet with a proper intention and attitude, the things that are out of our control and to have the strength and courage and just smart thinking to control the things that are within our control. I I really, I love that. I mean, I think that that resonates so well. And I mean, I think, you know, um, especially as you know, Sarah and I don't, we don't age and we don't get slower, but everybody else does. So, um, so to, to, um, to just have this like internal, like, I mean, the way when I was reading it, I was thinking about like intention is just like everything that is inside of me, everything that I want to feel, which is probably just what you said, but I just want to rephrase it. Cause you know, I just, I just think it's so important, you know, I mean, so everything that I want, I want to feel strong. I want to feel determined. I want to feel powerful. I want to feel like I'm driven and ambitious and, you know, and, and meet all these things that I, I know that my training has brought to me. And then if I can do that, even if the time on the clock isn't exactly what I had hoped it to be, like you still have this like amazing cloud of, 
confidence and pride to fall back on, right? Yes, and that's why I call it your personal best and not your personal record. Because if you did happen to find yourself aging, your personal record is going to <laughs> recede into the past. But your best is something that you're capable of on any given day. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely when I was looking through your book and, and reading it. The the person the idea of personal best really resonated with me because I, I I think we might have even touched on it last time you were on the show. But but just how I'm having struggle I'm struggling with my times getting slower and or, or me getting slower if we put it another way um so, you take the responsibility um, for the fact that my times are getting slower right, if we really right. like tie the bow on the package yeah um so i mean what what is your definition of personal best then the personal best is you handling up to whatever your intention and your goals are as best you can any situation that comes your way, whether or not it's in your control or out of your control. And what's so sweet about it is that you get to set those parameters yourself. So you can choose what attitude you want to cultivate during training, on the start line, during the race, on the finish line. I mean, you can choose to be a great person or you can choose to be a cranky person <laughs> and complain about the weather and, and be sour and unreasonable. But most of us come in with a loftier intention. <laughs> Sure, sure. It might change halfway, but you never know. Right. That's probably something that's in your control. And I say this in all seriousness, because your nutrition and your pacing have a whole lot to do with your attitude. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that just because we're on it. I mean, I think that that's really, that's also a super important message. Right. Over my years of training and racing and coaching others to train and race, I've gotten kind of minimalist about nutrition plans. I used to be super scheduled and, and I would experiment a lot on myself and using different products and different, um, timelines for what I would want to eat over the course of the race. And now I've learned to kind of run on an almost empty tank and to recognize the signs that I need to take, to take in a little bit more nutrition, especially mm-hmm. sugar. You know, I can feel myself getting, pardon my French, bitchy. And when I, <laughs> when I start to feel bitchy about things, then I know that, Hmm, something has gone a little bit wrong in my steps toward following my intention and goals. And I usually look at nutrition first and take in a little bit of sugar and see if that fixes things, if that fixes things. So gel or even better, a caffeinated gel or whatever looks appealing from an aid station in a longer race where I'll be eating solid food. Um, that often can change things way for the better. And then the other mm-hmm. half of that is starting at a pace that you know you can maintain. Not that you wish you could maintain, but that you're pretty sure you can maintain to get you to the finish line in within somewhere of your spectrum of goals. One thing going back to the intention and goal and not to not to keep beating harping on, but like I sometimes feel that that um my intentions, am I reading this correctly, that my intentions help me hold on to my goal. Yeah. That I I find sometimes my goal can get really slippery or I just really heavy while I'm running and racing and that I just toss it off to the side, like, you know, a, a packet of, you know, spent goo <laughs> and, and that, yeah. that, that trying to remember some of the, you know, I feel strong or I want to be happy and, and confident when I finish this race, that type of thing can help me hold on to, um, what it, what maybe the time goal or, or whatever it is that I set out beforehand. Absolutely. And that's why I also advocate having a spectrum of goals. I alluded to that earlier and didn't explain Mm -hmm. that more fully, but you know, I think folks need to have some conservative goal, like the I'll suck if I can't goal. And ultimately, (laughs) isn't that to make it out alive? 
from the race. It is. It's <laughs> because I'll a situation might emerge given factors that are out of your control, like the weather or course conditions that make it a bad idea to keep going or an mm-hmm. incipient injury could come out. And it's a bad idea to keep going. You want to come out in one piece. So that's a conservative mm-hmm. goal. And for many of us, just finishing is a conservative goal. And then we should have a public goal, something that will tell our coworkers who are going to be tracking us online or seeing us on Monday morning, or, you know, something that you could tell your kids so they know whether or not to jump up and down or to <laughs> frown for you. Um, then you should have, you know, a, a more private goal, something that you would tell your best training partner, something that you would tell your coach, and then a super secret radical goal, something that you would tell your closest partner or your coach if you've been working really closely one-on-one or that you can just barely admit to yourself you think is is within the limits of your ability if everything comes together and crystallizes right on race day. When you step on the starting line with those four goals in mind, then you can adjust as needed given the things that come your way that are out of your control. And like you said, Sarah, given your intention, then you can cleave to the goal that's going to work to get you to the Mm -hmm. finish line feeling best. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's talk about um, appropriate races. I mean, we have a lot of women that, you know, um, might be new to running after having a kid or something like that. And we want them to pick, we don't want, we hope that they pick a race that makes them feel strong and confident and not, um, you know, not like they've blown their wad maybe on like running a marathon, you know, six months after starting to run. I mean, how do you know, what, what kind of factors do you pull into picking that race that you can race wisely at? The more self-motivated it is, the more you you exclusively have had say in choosing what matters to you, the better it's going to go. And it's really easy, especially if you train with a group, to succumb to this. And it's positive peer pressure, I think, for the most part. But to succumb to this pressure that says, like, oh, this is the race that we're all going to take the weekend off and go to. Or, well, you've done a half marathon, so now your next race must be a full marathon. Or to go back and choose a race that you've done before and try to compare your times in that race to times in previous years. And all of those are kind of already setting you up for some disappointment. So if you can choose something that truly is meaningful to you, and better still, if you're coming off of time off or just even getting into shape in the first place, um, choosing something that is not in the standard progression, like choose an 8K instead of a 5K. Or choose a 10-miler instead of a half marathon. Right there, it can free you to have a a more in-the-moment experience, less comparative and more experiential. Mm-hmm. I've, I've run 10 marathons, and, and each of them, I've never run the same one twice. And now listening to you talk, I'm, I've suddenly been thinking, oh, maybe I did it. So I wouldn't exactly compare myself and say, oh, I did better in the 2009 Portland Marathon than right. I did in 2011 or whatever. Well, <laughs> we all know as parents of more than one child that it's never the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Never, ever. And if you run the same, if you do run the same race on the same course, it's going to be different the second time. The weather might be different. The course might have even changed a little bit. Your seating and your corral might be a little bit different. So you have more traffic mm-hmm. or less traffic. It's tough and you can't compare. So you have to meet each one as an experience in and of itself on race day. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk race day specific for a little bit. So I just ran my first uh, trail race on Monday. It was a 10K. And um so I had the best intention of doing a warm-up before the race, but then um, we got bused to near the start and we walked 
maybe quarter or almost a half a mile to the starting line. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, that's good enough. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you spend a few pages in the book outlining race warmups and, and so kind of school us on why they're important or not. It depends on what your intention and your goals are. And if they are, yeah, to have a fun day on Labor Day and to get to the finish line, you know, maybe, you know, feeling pretty strong, but not even like mm-hmm. you had just had to gut it out, then the warm up becomes mm-hmm. a lot less important. Or if you're doing a major marathon or half marathon where you're going to be hemmed in by traffic at the beginning of the race, and your intention is to kind of go with the flow in your corral or to run with the pace group, the, the warm-up becomes less important. But if your goal is to reach the finish line in a certain place, or if your intention is to feel like you are running with the faster folks in the crowd, then the warm-up becomes a whole lot more important. And especially, Sarah, for that trail race, it's super important if the race starts, as many trail races do, on some kind of a broad paved park road, and then at some point in the first quarter mile, half mile narrows onto trail, especially single track Mm -hmm. trail, then the warm-up becomes critical because you need to position yourself in the right place where you're not blocking in everybody behind you, nor are you feeling like you need to execute a whole bunch of passes and burn all your Mm -hmm. energy to get to the crowd that you actually ought to be running with. So Mm -hmm. the, the more competitive your goals are for the race, the more aggressive your goals are, the more time dependent or, um, place dependent they are, the more important the warm up is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that, that leads into um, one of the lines that um, I loved, um, uh, which is on page 122, if you're reading along, but um, it says there's only one reason to go out faster than your intended pace um, to, to position yourself so that you can settle into the appropriate pace as soon as possible. Everything else is ego or ignorance, and both <laughs> ego and ignorance can be controlled. <laughs> I love that. You can control the ego. Um, and you know what? And so I just, I mean, I, I think that that's so smart. And I mean, I, I can't tell you, I mean, we give this race talk, you know, about maximizing both performance and enjoyment. And now we always say, don't go out too fast. Don't go out too fast. And I mean, I've been running for so long and that, that temptation, it is still like, you know, dangling a piece of chocolate in front of me. Like, I just want it so badly to go out so fast. I mean, what, what is that about? And how do you really control yourself? I suggest that you are lazy in the first half and stubborn in the second. So you have to tap into your inner laziness. <laughs> I love that. We're going to have to co-op that maybe in our talk. <laughs> we'll attribute it to say. Okay. <laughs> and then when it gets tough, you have to suck it up and get stubborn and think, no, nah, I'm going to hold on. So it's about um, delayed gratification. If you can take that urge to go really fast and delay it until the second half, then you're really cooking with gas. Then you start flying past people in the second half of the race. And I love that feeling. When I do that, I feel like an energy vampire. I feel like I suck a little bit of everybody's soul out when I pass them. <laughs> and it's great. It's, and once you have executed a good negative split like that, and it doesn't have to be a drastic. In fact, the best races are pretty much evenly paced. But if you can learn how to hold back at the start, and then bear down and get stubborn and, and, and push in the second half. Once you get to the finish line in a race like that, you will be a convert, you will be a believer, and it'll be a little bit less hard to control yourself at the start. But it, it, it takes some faith, doesn't it, not to just go oh. bouncing off the line. So you need to think about where you want to finish, not where you want to start. The race is not over at the one-mile split. Yeah. So where you are at the one-mile split is not relevant to the finish. 
Yeah, that's what I got to mm-hmm. remind myself that the race, because I, yeah, you get, I get this sense of urgency in a half marathon, like mile two is going to determine where I'm going to end. It's hard for some reason, like I just can't wrap my head around like the two hours it's going to take me, you know, and I'm like, got to go, got to go. And uh, yeah, but I have run, I mean, or- I have run negative splits a couple of times and you're right. It is really fun to reel people in and to feel like you feel so strong, you know, like you're not just dragging your little, you know, badass across the finish line, right? Yeah, and that will help you fulfill the intention of feeling good about yourself at the finish line instead of feeling like somebody's going to need to come and scrape you off the pavement. (laughs) Yeah, although there's a part of me, though, that always worries that I won't find the juice, the the stubbornness that I need to to go faster in the second half. Hmm. Have you had had an implosion race where it all just went to pot and that happened? Yeah, my P my marathon PR the system <laughs> system shut. I had a system shutdown at mile twenty six, so it didn't have you know. At least mile twenty six. <laughs> like, yeah, there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes, uh, like I, I guess one of my greatest fears in life, and this I realize this is not a therapy session for me, but is is being lazy and having um kind of ennui take over and so i guess i'm worried that if i kind of have a certain laziness if i carry it along for a few miles that i'll be like oh yeah this lazy thing feels good i'm just gonna keep going with that and lazy is maybe an extreme adjective for something that is in its heart stubbornness even in the first half it's just conservatism Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that that can be tough to Mm -hmm. to be patient and a little conservative and this is why I advocate in Racing Wisely a lot of testing during training so that you have a really accurate picture of what you're capable of. So this might mean that you go to the track and do a 30-minute time trial at your best 30-minute effort once a month over the course of your four-month marathon training session uh, cycle or half-marathon training cycle. And I tell you guys, those tests suck. They're horrible. Yeah, they do. <laughs> just why they, I advocate not doing them. No, yeah, but they will make you so strong mentally and physically. It's a it's a quite a decent threshold workout right there. But they make you so strong mentally because you'll have the chance to find that reserve in the second half that you fear you're not going to have in the race. And think about how it will feel to get to the starting line next time after four months of training, having done this like brutally honest time trial once every four weeks, you're going to know what the feeling is like of the nerves the night before. You're going to know what the feeling is like of the nerves the morning of. You're going to know what it feels like to hold back just a smidgen at the start. And you're going to know what mental skills you need to deploy in that second half so that you don't have an implosion. I was just gotta say, listening to you talk about that sage, I thought sage has the best name, the most apt name. Like you are just so sage. It's wonderful. Oh, my parents, they they'd set me up pretty well by looking in the burpee seed catalog of all places they wanted a flower name. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> We might have to call you basil or, you know, tarragon from now on. It could be way worse. It could be nasturtium or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So so you talk about in the book about the four quarters of a race, and I just love, love that idea. And you you write about how the third is the hardest. And and can you talk a little bit about that? It's true at every distance as well. If you talk to somebody who's an ultra runner or if you talk to somebody who's a – 
1600 runner on the track, it's that third lap. Or mm-hmm. Dimity will know from running, from swimming her hundreds in the pool, it's the third lap of the hundreds in the pool that just kills yes. you because you're not quite there. And that's when you really need to bear down. So if you can focus your effort on the third quarter, then you'll be golden. By the time that the third segues into the fourth, you're, you're close enough that you can start to smell the finish. Mm-hmm. And and you can usually pull through from the end of the third all the way to the finish. So you got to hold back a little bit in the first, then find your good rhythm in the second quarter so that you can really bear down in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. I, when I was reading it in the book, I was thinking about um, kind of week 28 or kind of week 28 to 30 during pregnancy. <laughs> it's you're, you're too far along to remember life without a belly, yet you're not close enough to be like washing baby clothes in draft or like hanging the mobile above the crib. And it's just like, oh, when is this ever going to be over? Yeah, or <laughs> and miles three. Was I ever not ready? Miles, yeah. uh, hour three of a four-hour car trip with the kids in the car. Yes, <laughs> yes. Or <laughs> the period like around Halloween in a college semester. <laughs> All of them have this third quarter slump. Yeah. Well, the same applies to, to the training cycle. I mean, I really find that like when the race, when the excitement of, we I signed up for this, this race and I'm so excited. And, but yet- it, you know, it's a couple calendar flips away from being there. You know, you're like, oh, for the love of God, why did I do this? You know, like I can't do this anymore. I'm so sick of training. Um, and that's when you just put your head down and just, you know, fake it till you make it. And I think that's kind of what you do in a race too, right? Yep. Cool. Well, and then the other thing that, that I'm talking about, so we, so now I've got quarters as one way to split up a race. And then you quote, runner's world story, which I love, uh, again, we just love lines. It's we're, we're, we're writers here. We love this kind of stuff, but you talk about, um, chunking up races and for the marathon, you run the first 10 miles with your head, your second 10 with your legs and your third or your third, your six with the heart again, 10, 10 miles with the head, second 10 miles with your legs. And then the final six miles with your heart. Um, and that just resonates too, because it brings together like the whole comprehensive picture of why you run. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it's got intention and it's got goals and it's got wisdom. (laughs) Exactly. Smart, smart in the first 10 miles and you have to be, so there's your goals and then you you got it out, keep it up in the second and you're using all of your physical reserves. And then, so you've got your mental reserves and your physical reserves and then your psycho spiritual reserves there in the last a little bit. I bet that quote stuck with me from the instant I read it. It was from a pacer um, who had paced a whole lot of marathons. And I would love to run one with her because she seemed like a wise lady. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So again, to keep gushing over your book, um, so the, so we, lo- we love TMI and love that you included some oversharing advice in the book, um, especially the fighting chafing chart, because um, who doesn't love talking about chafing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I know you've noticed that it seems to happen out of the blue in a race when it oh. never happened before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, what, I have. What's um, that about? Well, things are a little bit different in the race, and this is why a whole bunch of Racing Wisely is about preparation. I mean, a good half of the book is actually about all the decisions that you can make to set yourself up for your personal best on race day, and then the other half is about executing. So ultimately, we need to have the most um, precise dress rehearsal that we can in training 
to anticipate all of these little variables that will actually be in our control on race day, like how we tie the knot in our shorts and where exactly we put the body glide around the neck hole of our sports bra. And even how we do our hair can be of critical importance during the race. It sounds so mundane and even vain, but it can really make or break your race to be worried about your hair during the race. If it's <laughs> driving you crazy and swatting you in the back or your braids are falling out or whatever it is, these, these, these sound so piddling, but they can become monumental on race day. So chafing is one of those things that if we don't practice the exact nutrition and hydration plan that we expect to execute on race day at race pace, then the body might respond in slightly different ways on race day by swelling a little bit or by losing weight. And then your clothes are going to fit you and rub you a little bit differently. Your shoes are going to fit you and rub you a little bit differently than you practiced in training. So the best dress rehearsal that you can do three weeks out from a major race, two weeks out from something in the one to two hour category, the happier you're going to be on race day because you will have taken the time to control everything that you can control. Hmm. So interesting to me to hear Yogini talk about control because uh... (laughs) (laughs) we control what we can so that we have the energy to cope when things are out of our control. Uh That's good. Yeah. 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 Namaste. So yeah. Um, so in the the chafing and all all those um ideas kind of uh, remind me of some of the personal horror stories um in the book which we love that um we recognize some of those people some are mother runners from our tribe like uh jennifer martin who we met in north carolina down in your neck of the woods and uh, who who ran that super sprint tribe barefoot because she brought along two right shoes and then and then when you said about the knot in the shorts i thought of allison taylor who talks about not being able to un having to go to the bathroom in a relay and not being able to get her shorts untied and so she had to like you know wrestle with them to get them down and up back up and she was um, and she went into a woman's house she went into yes, somebody's yes, house yes. right with, tell, yes, tell that with story, the tacky wallpaper <laughs> yeah <laughs> really, oh i envisioned i envisioned gold fixtures as well as tacky yeah, wallpaper but maybe that was just my vivid description of this bathroom that she bent her way into <laughs> well, what what are some of the other stories that 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 kind of made you laugh or just you know you were just like oh to, you know truth is stranger than fiction oh it's it, it there are all these mishaps and folks shared them so generously i am super grateful for the good humor with which people told these stories about all the ways in which they messed up <laughs> and often <laughs> it was often it was things that should have been under their immediate control like knowing when the race starts or knowing mm. when the race finishes. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning like they didn't know how far they were going to go or what? Oh, that's a story of a guy who was racing in a criterion, which is a lapped bike race. And when he heard the bell for the bell lap, he thought it was the finish. <laughs> and he starts sprinting and, and got to the finish line and everybody else kept going <laughs> around oh. him that that's a pretty common error in fact and you can understand how once you're in oxygen debt it's pretty easy to make mistakes like that Uh, that was a good one though um so a lot of them were things like that that were under folks control not understanding exactly what was going to be at the aid stations or how far apart the aid stations were going to be or how accessible the bathrooms were going to be or whether there would be any alternative for a bathroom if you're running through suburban residential neighborhoods. 
<laughs> and you know, the, going back to dress rehearsal, a lot of these potty talk issues can be obviated by practicing at race pace, the nutrition and hydration plan you expect to execute on race day. Because if you haven't practiced, your long runs are all nice and slow and leisurely and conversational, which is a good way to do a long run. Don't get me wrong, but you haven't practiced eating and drinking on the schedule that you expect to keep on race day. Then you start to add more sugar or less sugar, more water or less water than you've practiced with in training. That's when it disrupts your GI tract and your bladder and things get a little dicey during the race. So some of that can be practiced away and refined. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. back to the disaster stories, there were some good disaster stories that were things that were just out of folks' control, like crashes. Um, this woman, Meg, told a great story about going down pretty early in one of her, I guess it was her first trail race she'd ever done to the point where she <laughs> broke her nose and her glass. Oh, shoot. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and as anybody who has fallen in a race like that and then pop back up knows, I mean, sometimes there can be horrible injuries, but sometimes oh, it's just a broken nose and you get this rush <laughs> of adrenaline that just surges you. And this was like a peak experience for Meg to run the rest of this race on this mm. adrenaline high. It's pretty cool. Oh my God. And then she looked at herself I... in the mirror and was like, oh, at least I have, at least I met my goals and my intentions because now I've got to go get my nose straightened out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let that be the last word in racing wisely. Forget philosophy, forget intentions and practicality. Just keep the mental atom out of the chamois cream. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, for if you're looking for more TMI or more uh, racing advice and, and all sorts of good stuff, uh, find us on Facebook. We're at Run Like a Mother, the book. Our website is anothermotherrunner.com. On Twitter, we're at the Mother Runner. Our books are Run Like a Mother and Train Like a Mother. And they are now available on our website. Signed copies available. Woohoo! So, um, no matter uh, whether you got mentholatum on by mistake or not, uh, many happy miles <laughs> to you. <laughs>